Our text this morning is Romans 14, and we'll go through 13 through 19, as we won't be able to, to finish this this morning as we continue to to uh, uh, to go through this this great uh, passage. You know, this morning um, Jane uh, kind of helped gave me the kind of start of this. You know, as, as she was dealing with that, you know, the, the idea of concern and 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 Paul's we're uh, used to the word concern and how that really kind of drove home the ideal that that in Paul's mind that there's something tangible about concern. You know, you, you, to say that I am concerned for you without willing to put feet to that, without willing to do something with that, then, you know, is that really concerned? You know, if, if, if I am concerned for you, but I'm not willing to, to, to live it out, well, then, then Paul said, well, you really weren't concerned. I mean, not that, not that you didn't care. It's just, it's kind of withered. It, it, you, you're, there's some action involved with this. You know, one of my best friends in the world is Julie DeBus here at school. And I will, every single meeting that we have with Julie, at the end of these meetings, she always asks the question, so, what do I do now? We've had this great meeting, but what do we do with this? How, how, do, we, how do we live this out? How do, how do we apply this? You know, Romans 9, 10 and 11 gave us this great passage. Paul told us in Romans 9, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit to serve the Lord. And we read that and we talked about that, about how important it is to love one another, how important it is to be zealous, to be, to be zealous in, in, in living for the Lord. But then what does that actually look like? How do we live that out? How do we apply that into our lives? And I think what Paul's doing now in Romans 14 is he's helping us to understand how do we apply this? What does it look like to live out Romans 9, 10 to 11? Or 9 to 11, sorry. They'll be genuine. Abhor what is evil. So as we look at this, remember, we're applying this principle of this zealous, servant, fervent love for the Lord, serving the Lord, and how we love one another. And how we we, we minister to one another. And what does that mean? So let's look at Romans 14. And I'm going to read 13 through 19. As I said, we're not going to get through all that today. But, but I just want us because I think it's something. As we talk about body life and about loving one another, it's more than just saying, well, we just got to have good thoughts about one another. Or we need to be thinking well of one another. There's an action to this. There's, there's, a, there's an application to this. We have to apply these to our lives. Or Paul would say, then you're really not you're really not concerned for one another. So Romans 14, verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean to anyone who thinks it is unclean. 
For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. As I was looking at this this week and, and, and come across, I came across an article by um, uh, the Legionnaire Ministry in R.C. Sproul. And he broke this section down into three, this, all of this Romans 14, into three sections. And I, I, as I read that, I thought, you know, it's so uh, applicable, I think, to us, these three sections. He says, the first rule of Christian love is that we receive others who are weaker in the faith as brothers and sisters. Every Christian is a servant of Christ. Christ is his master and judge. I am not to judge those in Christ. He said this, this is the first rule of Christian love is recognizing that, that, that we have a judge and it's God. Um, but you know, as I considered that this week, because I thought about this, I'm, I'm really not sure if we're really good at judging who's weak in faith and who's not. You know, I think we struggle with that. You know, and, and I think part of the problem we struggle with that is all of us are weak in faith in some things. There are none of us here who is strong in faith in everything. All of us have weaknesses in our faith and strengths. And, and, and but yet we, we're not to judge one another, he says. The first rule of Christian love is I am to receive the brother and sister who's weak in faith. The second principle, according to R.C. Sproul, as he broke this down, the second principle of Christian liberty is that a person should not be forced to act according to another person's conscience with respect to matters indifferent. Now that's really, please remember that, with respect to matters indifferent. This rule presupposes that Christians are at various levels of Christian growth. So this rule comes in with the idea of understanding that we are all at different levels of Christian growth. And on those indifferent matters, we're, we're, going, to be in, we're going to be different, and that's okay. We accept one another. We love one another. But here's Here's the real question. This one gets into the third one. So when we meet each other at various levels, how do we live in love? How, how are we to love one another? Not just, well, I'm just not going to judge you. You go over and do what you're doing. I don't like it, but I'm just not going to judge you in this. But how do I how do I express love? How do I let love, my love be genuine in this and love him and encourage him as a brother in Christ? The third principle that, that, that Sproul pulled out of this, that's set forth in Romans 14, is that the stronger brother ought not to cause the weaker brother to stumble, but should be considerate. He is not to flaunt his liberty in front of the weaker brother. He is not to coax his brother to indulge. 
A guideline that's set down in verse 22. Has thou faith? Have it, have it to thyself before God. So this is this is what we're going on as we deal with this last principle, as we try to apply this and learn to live this out. We'll look at this, this section. You know, Paul said in verse 13, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Therefore, for the reason, as he just said, for the reason that everyone is living under the worship of Christ, as we talked about from Isaiah 45 last week. Since every single Christian is bowing the knee to God, and, and, as, and as I said, said the Lord, and every tongue is confessing to God, each and every one of us is to give an account of himself before God. Since, since everyone is living this way, we're not to pass judgment. Now, once again, please understand, he's talking about, again, the context of this. He's talking to people who are fervent in spirit, as he just said in Romans 9. We're talking about, as, as we're living this out, as we're fervently seeking to live out this, this walk, as we're fervently seeking to seek after God, we're not to judge one another in this. Instead, but rather, decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. He said, he said we're not to pass judgment. We're not to, we're, not to, we're not to pass judgment any longer. And I really wish we had time, though, to make a list of the things that we pass judgment on. Wouldn't that be an interesting list? If we all could sit here and make a list of all the things that we all pass judgment on one another, would that not be a fun list? You know, there are people that don't read the Bible as much as I do. How dare they? What is their problem? There are people that don't study as much as you do, Jack. <laughs> well, they're, they're, but you know, they're they're, the, they're they're different. They're weird, you know. Because I do it right, right. I mean, I, you know, I do it right. We are, we are so. I mean, we can do. We make up lists. Oh my! If we had, I really wish we all had time to honestly sit and make a list of the things we pass judgment on. Would that not be just something to read? <laughs> okay, maybe. But mine's longer. <laughs> yeah, we would. We, we could man, we could make a, a real list of this, couldn't we? Of things that we... Because um, we, we find so many things to pass judgment. So, so, and it's crazy. They're not as fervent as I am. They're, they're not as passionate about finding, finding Christ as I am. Well, they're, they're too passionate. They're too zealous. They're, they're too, they're too, I mean, they, they go way overboard. Well, they're not, they're not as legalistic as I am. Well, they're too legalistic. And we, 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 we could, we could go on and on. So we, we, we shouldn't do that anymore, Paul said. We shouldn't pass judgment. Instead, Paul is going to give us the contrast. And it's really interesting what he said here. You know, he said, he said that, that, that uh, for this reason, let us not pass judgment on, on anyone any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. And as I read that, I thought, yeah, that's kind of weird, isn't it? 
that's kind of opposite. What's Paul mean in this? And 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 what I really think he's saying is the whole rest of this section, the whole rest of of, of Romans 14, 13 through 19, is the contrast, the opposite of, of judging. And let me explain what I mean. So listen, listen to this. So Paul in Romans 13, and I'm going to kind of join it with Romans 19 just a little bit, kind of to help explain it. He said, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. So, so instead of judging one another, the, the ultimate goal of this is peace and the mutual upbuilding. That's what we're really talking about. How do I build one another up? How do I love one another? How do we, how do we live out this Romans 9-9 passage, let your love be genuine, and then all of this section in here is what does it look like to love one another? What does it look like to build one another up? What does it look like to serve the Lord in this? How do we fervently do this? And it begins with, first of all, instead of judging them, let's find ways to love them. Let's find ways to usually build them up. Let's find ways to encourage them. Let's find ways to serve them. How are we to outdo one another in showing love and zeal? How are we to outdo one another in building one another up and showing concern? How are we to outdo one another in being peace? See, it's not enough to say I love you and think well of you. How am I to love you? How do I do this? I don't know of a single congregation that says we don't love each other. I mean, could you imagine going to church and saying, well, we don't, we don't love each other at all. No, they know the right answer. But then the question is, what does that look like? How do you live this out as a, as a body? And one of the ways, and, and Paul's getting it, how do we do this? How are we to serve one another? So, from verse 13 through 19, are all the things that make for peace and for the mutual building up. This is how I am to love you. So my, my, my greatest concern for you is peace and you being built up in the Lord because that's your greatest need. How do I, how do I, so how do I do this in a way that glorifies God? I want to love you. And Paul's going to tell us how. So the first obstacle, as we talk about this, the first obstacle that I need to, to understand that, 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 that is stopping you from being built up, that I have any control over. Now, I know there might be a lot of other obstacles, but the first obstacle that I have control over of you being built up is me. I can control me. I am not to be a stumbling block or a hindrance to you. And you are not to be a stumbling block or a hindrance to someone else. For them to be loved and to be encouraged to be built up, you are not to be the stumbling block, to be the hindrance. The word for stumbling, stumbling stone or stumbling block here 
is the same word that was used in chapter 9 in Romans, in verse 32 and 33. As Paul is talking about the nation of Israel, and they're stumbling, and they're coming to the Lord. He said in, in, verse, in chapter 9, verse 32, because they, did not have, because they did not pursue it in faith, but as it was based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it's written, Behold, I land in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The stumbling stone was the desire to fulfill righteousness by keeping the law, by their own efforts. Instead of pursuing it by faith, they were going to do it, the, 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 instead of receiving it by faith, they were going to do it with their own work. They're not going to work really hard to be righteous. And Paul said that was a stumbling stone. This, 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 their, their attitude of saying, I'm really, I'm really going to try to do this in my own strength so that I can be righteous, Paul said that, that's their stumbling stone. There's a stumbling stone laid before them, and that's just receive it by faith. Not relying on Christ to provide it. And so this is a very dangerous stumbling stone. And he says, you're not to be the same stumbling stone. You are not to be that same hindrance to others. You're to be, the, one of the first ways you have to understand is by loving others is to not be that stumbling stone. Do not be that stone of stumbling, that offense, that hindrance to others. He goes on, he said, I know, in verse 14, I know, and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but is unclean to everyone who thinks it is unclean. Now, please remember the context here. Nothing is unclean in itself that is in the Lord Jesus, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He is not saying here, you can do whatever you want to. He's not saying that, that the Word of God is no longer true and, 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 that, and that what God has written of righteousness is, is no longer applicable. He's not saying that whatever you can think of, it's, it's all right. You can do it. So that, but he's saying that under the Lordship of Christ, under the understanding of who Christ is, in Christ, meaning in obedience to Him, in living out under Him, under this zealous desire to live out to Christ, nothing is unclean. But it's possible, though, the interesting thing about this, it is possible, though, that just anything and everything might be unclean for the one who thinks it's unclean. So let me explain. William Hendricks, my professor at Southern Seminary, told us a story about taking a group of Baptists from Texas to Germany. He was a pastor there in Germany, and one day he had to take this group of, uh, of Baptists from this you know, large Baptist church in Texas. This was way back in the, the, the 60s. And he said they all went over to Germany for, for, to, to serve and to minister. And the first Sunday, they all went to this, the German church, and, man, they loved it. They fellowshiped. And they, they served. Well, then afterwards, they went over to have a meal together. So here they all went in to sit down together at this meal. And he said, he said, had all these blue-haired, staunch Southern Baptists were sitting at this meal, and they brought the food out, and they brought the, drink at, the drinks out and sit on the table, and guess what they said on the table? Beer. 
lots and lots of beard. He said there was this massive intake of breath. He said some little kid would have been sucked in the building if he'd walked by. He said, here I mean, there was like, oh my goodness, how dare they? I mean, he said, so here, I mean, all these, these badges were like, how did they set beer on the table? How dare they? He said, but somehow we got through the meal. Nobody died. Nobody, nobody jumped up and you know tried to perform exorcism or anything like that. He said, we got through the meal. He said, as soon as the meal was over, those Baptists leaned back in the chairs. You hear these Texas Baptists? And pulled out their cigarettes and lit up. And here goes all those German Baptists. <gasps> he said, that poor little kid been sucked in the building again, you know? Well, the problem is, you know, was cigarette smoking unclean? It was to the German Baptists. Was beer was drinking beer unclean? It was to the, to the Texas Baptists. But was it unclean unto the Lord? No, not in moderation. So he's saying that he said both of these could be clean and unclean unto the Lord. Now there are certain things that are always, always unclean. We need to understand it. That's not, that's not what this passage is saying, that all things are unclean. There are things you can set before you that, that are unclean, period, in discussion, because it is unclean in the Scriptures. But he's talking about all this, this, this matters of indifference. Verse 15, and this where he goes on, For if your brother is, is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. If I see that what I'm doing to my Christian liberty is causing grief or harm to my brother, and I keep doing it, I am no longer walking in love. When I saw, if I was one of those German Baptists, I saw that what, what I was, was smoking was, was, was grieving my brother's or sisters in Christ, and I keep doing it, well, I'm free in Christ to do this. I'm no longer walking in love. I, I want you to notice that Paul's not saying that what you're doing might be causing someone to grieve, to grieve, or might be causing someone to stumble. Because the problem is, if you say what it might be causing, that's everything. No, I see, I see that what I'm doing is causing my brother distress. I see the problem. I see that this bothers him. I know this is an issue in his life. It's interesting in comparing Romans to 1 Corinthians 8, because 1 Corinthians 8 is dealing with the exact same issue, the same subject, but, it, but it's interesting, as, as, as Corey pointed out yesterday, the different focus, same issue, about eating meat offered to idols, but from completely different focus. In Romans, in Romans, it seems like the Gentiles know of their liberty in Christ. And they feel free to eat meat offered to idols. And it offends the Jews. While in 1 Corinthians, it's the exact opposite. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, Paul writes, But some, through their former association with idols, 
eat food as really offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. So in Corinthians, it is some of the, some of the, 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 the Gentiles who because of, of their worship, because of being a part of the temple, for them to eat meat offered to idol, it's, it's a real problem. They, 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 it bothers them. They're the ones who struggle with it. In Romans, it's, from the context, it seems like it's the Jews who are struggling with this. They say, we, we can't eat it. Well, no, we, we know that it, it, meat off the idol, it, it was, that's for the priest and priests alone. We can't do that. Others say, well, it's just meat. Just meat. In, in, in Corinthians, he talks about, we know there's no God there. We know that. But for some people, for some of the Gentiles that were part of that, that were in that, in that worship, it bothers them. They're the Gentiles who lived under that system. But regardless of who and what, the result's the same. For both of them, Paul says, for the cause, for the cause of the love of my brother, I won't eat. 1 Corinthians 8.13 Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat. Least I make my brother stumble. Paul says, if, if what I want to eat... It's going to put a stumbling block. It's become a, a, an offense to my brother. I'm never going to do it. Period. Because Paul sees the consequences of this is very dire. They're not, they're not small things. Notice what Paul says. By what you do, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Now, I'll be honest with you, that, that word kind of hit me as I was looking up again and thought about it. That's a, that's a hard word. Do not destroy. I can live my life, Paul says, and, and it can destroy the brothers around me. That, that's really hard. How do, what do you mean, Paul? How do I apply that to my life? This is harsh. I mean, the word literally means to cause. To, I mean, I'm sorry, to kill. It means to kill or to cause to perish. It literally means, it, it can mean eternal destruction. Now, and, and I want to explain this, what I think Paul means here in such a way without, without softening this, without taking the teeth out of it. Because it's, it, he uses a really harsh word. And I think it's intentional. I don't think Paul's just saying this for effect, or Paul's just saying this to get our attention, or Paul's just saying hyperbole. You know, he 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 means this. But of course, you know, the, on the other hand, we know that Scripture says nothing can snatch us from the hand of God, right? So let me kind of explain it this way: in our personal walk, we know that it is God who keeps us, right? Who is it that keeps us close to God? God does, right? But how does he keep us? What's one of the ways he uses to keep us? Through the word of God. Through one another in the word of God. You know, we read those warnings in Scripture and we take it to mean, this, this applies to me. I've got to live this out. This is, this is, it's not just I can just read it and say, well, God's going to keep me, so I don't have to worry about it. Once saved, always saved. I'm done. No, I read the, I read the warnings. 
Like 1 John chapter 1.10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. I read that warning and say, oh man, I need to know that I sin and struggle with this. It applies to me. I don't want this to be me. Or Hebrews 3, 12-14. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So I read that as a warning, that if I don't hold my confidence firm to the end, I've never come to share in Christ. I believe those words. They're meaningful. He's just not speaking for hyperbole. He's just not making this for effect. He says this so that I read these and I take it and I find my life and I live this out. They have meaning. They're applicable. God uses these to keep me close to him. But what about others? As Hebrews says, I'm to exhort and encourage others in the walk. I don't to try to build them up. But more than that, Paul says my actions can contribute to their destruction. Now please understand, I am not saying that my actions determine whether they are elect or not. In 1 John, 1, 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us because they were never of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But if we believe the warning... The, the, that the warnings are one of the things that God uses to keep us close to himself, then we must also believe that our actions are one of the things that can be used to drive others away from away from, from God, to destroy them. See, Paul, listen to what Paul says. Paul says, we're not just destroying them, but do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Listen to First John, or sorry, First Corinthians eight, eleven through thirteen. First John, First Corinthians eight, eleven through thirteen. And so, by your knowledge, or your knowledge, your freedom, the knowledge you have of your freedom in Christ, the knowledge you know that your righteousness is from Christ alone, the knowledge you have that that the meat is not really offered to idols, it means nothing. So he says, by your knowledge. This weak person is destroyed. There's that word again. By your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sin against your brother, wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. So it is for this reason. It's serious. It is serious. If, if, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, Paul says. Least I make my brother stumble. This is, he said, you need to understand, this is serious. Your actions, your stumbling, can contribute to the destruction of a brother for whom Christ died. If, if his heart convicts him in this, if his conscience leads him in this, then I will do nothing to discourage him in that. Nothing. 
So do not let what you regard as free as good be spoken of as evil. You look at it and say, but 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 there's this freedom in Christ. Great. I'm happy for you. Good. I'm glad you know that. But don't let that which is good destroy a brother. Be spoken of as evil. Don't, don't take your freedom to the point that you're that you're hurting somebody else. Love that brother who's weaker. Encourage that brother who's weaker. Don't let that freedom be spoken of as evil. As he said, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing love and showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. I've got a brother who is passionate about serving Christ. He's trying to serve Christ to the very best of his ability. Don't come up beside him and say, dude, you're just messing up. Don't you know all the freedoms you have in Christ? What's your problem? It's not loving. It's not loving him. This, this, he said, this opposite of judging is come beside that brother. Don't, don't be that hindrance. Don't be that stumbling block. Paul, Paul sees this as, as, as important as dire, as, as a need. You know, we talk about love, love the brother and love one another. None of us here are at the same level in everything. None of us. There are people with greater faith in some things, and there are people with lesser faith. But how do we be loving to one another? So we can build one another up to, to, to this mutual encouragement, this mutual building up. Paul goes on, and we're going to spend a lot of time on this next week because it's just it's so important. In verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for the mutual upbuilding. He said this, this, this kingdom of God, it's not about these things you eat or drink. It's about righteousness that we have in Christ. It's about this, this joy that we have, this peace that we have in the Holy Spirit. It's about this walk that we have. So because of this, let us pursue what makes for peace. Between one another. Let's pursue that. Let's, let's, let's run. I mean, this idea of pursuing to run after this. And what will build one another up? You know what? Could you can you picture that? What would it look like if that was if that was what what we wanted when we came together? We're, we're, we see this group of people that is pursuing what makes for peace between us and what builds one another up. That, that, that's, that, that would be the passion of our hearts, a body life. 
that's all. That's what I want more than anything else is, man, when, when we come together, that's what the people see in us is we so love each other. We just, I just, man, what, are, what, did it take, what does it take to make peace between us? Instead of, well, I got my seat. I'm good. That's where I hear my sermon. I'm going to go home, and man, that's it. Is, this, is that the genuine love that Paul talks about? Is that the zealous, passionate desire that Christ is talking about here? Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Do that by loving one another. Paul says this, this is, I mean, think about that. Don't destroy the one for whom Christ died. Strong words. Strong call. What does your love for others practically look like? As as Paul said in Philippians, does it need reviving? Does it look kind of withered? Kind of, kind of, kind of dried up. I like your, the word picture you had, dried up, withered on the branch. Or does it look, does it look alive and fresh? What does your love look like for others?